thread, a singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org. Greetings, friends, and welcome to Thread. This broadcast finds me in northern Thailand, where my family and I live. We've been away on the road, um, about, on about a 15-month road trip uh, through some of Europe, but mainly in the U.S., reconnecting with donors and friends and family, and uh, generally giving our kids their first extended taste of America. We've lived as missionaries for 25 years, and it's been 20 years since we've had a full year in the States, so it was about time for it. So I really enjoyed that. I'm now definitely ready to be back in our mission field and in our context, which is the Buddhist world, and uh, just having a great time here. But our house has been closed up for a year, and so you may hear a little construction project going on in the background from time to time, and so just bear with us today. This is thread number 17, and it's coming from Mark chapter 5. So if you didn't get your Bibles, go ahead and get it and come right back. We're going to be talking about the value of one person and why the Lord does miracles. What's his purpose in doing miracles? We'll be right back. All right, uh, Mark chapter 5. And just to give you a little background again, remember that in chapter 4, Jesus took his disciples and they got in the boat in the middle of a, you know, a pretty uh, successful ministry among Jewish people. And he says to them in chapter 4, verse 35, let's cross over and let's go to that other side. And this was the side where people had not heard the gospel. They did not know uh, about Jehovah and they had a, a very uh, inaccurate understanding of who God was. Uh, period. And so Jesus has a missions heart. He's come as a missionary and he's concerned about these people. So he says, let's go there. And if we remember in chapter four, you know, there was this huge spiritual uh, resistance to that mission and a huge, you know, big storm came up and, and he had to deal with that. And he had the resources to deal with that because he was on mission. Now we're in chapter five and uh, the mission trip starts. It is conceived of, we could guess, uh, as a trip through the Decapolis. Decapolis is a series of 10 towns. They're on uh, the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, and it's a Gentile territory and uh, mixed, you know, some Jewish settlements, but also uh, quite a bit of uh, Gentile people and Gentile culture. And so he's taking them you know, way out of their comfort zone on this planned journey. Uh, chapter 5 says they came to the other side of the sea. They came to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he came out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, an unclean spirit. We could say a spirit with a character of defilement, a, a spirit that is, um, it is itself unclean. And so it defiles and disgraces anyone that it connects to. And, and this, uh, this demon, or later we learned these demons, have gotten into this poor man, and he is, uh, you know, he's made by God, made in the image of God to reflect the glory of God, but now he's defiled, and now he's disgraced, 
uh, and uh, he's so humiliated in every possible way that you could be. He's been humiliated by the demon spirits. And this is, in a lot of ways, this is a picture of the, the missionary setting. We go into places where people do not know Christ. Because of that, they have no spiritual protection against the evil forces. And the devil just does his work in their life. They're so confused, they're beaten down, and this man is a, a picture of that. Um, he's one of the most pitiful conditions that Jesus faces in his ministry. Uh, the, just the inner turmoil that this guy has gone through and the social rejection that he's had to deal with. Uh, you know, his, he's just been beaten up in every possible way. He's been taken over by these demons. And uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 3 says, He had his dwelling among the tombs. No one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. You know, so this controlling this man, um, this really scary man, had become a community project for his people, but they there's two things they could not do, according to the scripture. One, they could not bind him. Uh, there was nothing they could do in their human power to try to control what chaos had been released inside of him, because it it wasn't a human condition. He wasn't just schizophrenic. He was demon possessed, and there was nothing these people could do in the in the natural that could control and could drive out these demons. Uh, It said when they tried to chain him, these are steel chains, the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles had been broken in pieces. And then here's the second thing no one could do. Neither could anyone tame him. He couldn't be bound and he couldn't be tamed. Verse 5, what a miserable life. Always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones, you know, an early cutter. Uh, Pain, despair, self-hate, hates his life, hates his body, and the only sense of relief he can give himself is to slice himself and then, you know, his body, those endorphins rise up the different hormones when you get wounded. And that's the only relief that he can find is in cutting himself. He's just totally destitute. But when this man saw Jesus from afar, he ran to him. He ran and he worshipped him. And uh, you know, that's the beauty of this. This man is spiritually receptive he is hungry for spiritual truth he is open to jesus and sometimes you know you uh you think you see a person and you think well so far from god but that's just not true this man has never had an opportunity to get near god he doesn't know anybody that can bring him to the lord properly but now he sees jesus and inside you know him even these demons are interacting, they see Jesus. They recognize who Jesus is. And between this man and these demons, we're not told exactly who is animating this running, but this man runs to Jesus and he worships him. And, um, you know, in in my journey as a pastor, um, in training the inner circle of of the churches that we have had a hand in, we always you know, lead with elders, 
and we raise up these elders and train them to do ministry with us. And one of the things we have to teach them pretty early is um, is something about people called EGRs. These are extra grace required people, not because they're bad people, but because they are in a state something like this man. And they are so miserable inside. And when you come into their life, you bring the grace of God. You bring the love of God. You bring them peace and calm. And something settles over them when you're around. And they don't want to leave you. They cling to you. And you have to learn to accept this at some level. You, you build you know, normal boundaries in your life. Uh, because you do have a family and you've got to get on. But it doesn't mean your family has to be shielded from all people like this. It's good for your children to uh, open up their heart and share their food and slide over at the table and add one more. And this is just good training that breaks selfishness out of all of us and teaches us to see people the way the Lord sees people. Uh, and generally, these people grow out of that. Once they get stabilized, they're not like that forever. But in the beginning, you know, they often are. And this man uh, was a, this is just a very dramatic circumstance. Uh, the demons are crying out, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of this man, unclean spirit. Now, actually, verse 8 in the Greek says he had been saying, he had been repeatedly saying. See, this demon is resisting Jesus. When Jesus sees the state of this man, he recognizes when things are physical and when things are spiritual. And this man clearly had a spiritual issue in his life. Jesus had had spoken to the demon, come out, and the demon wasn't coming out. He was resisting. And Jesus continued to repeat, I'm telling you, come out of this man. You know, there's different cases in uh, in the Lord's healing of people and uh, delivering of people. Sometimes he says a word and it's over with. And then sometimes, you know, there are these cases where he has to apply the medicine of prayer and the medicine of commanding the spirits and the circumstances. And that's what he's doing with this man. He's just bearing down. And the the demons in the man are crying out, you know, you are Jesus, you are the Son of God, and I implore you by God, it's not time to judge us yet, uh, do not torment me. Um, now, for Jesus to get control of this demon, it was somehow necessary to name this demon. And, uh, you know, in the Middle Ages, there was a story called Rumpelstiltskin, which was the same idea. You have an evil spirit, you have an evil power, and until you can name it, it continues to do its work because it's a shadowy thing. And, uh, you know, that's kind of part of spiritual deliverance in our own life. We need to name our demons. Now, you may not have a real demon in you. Well, who knows? You might. Um, but most people don't. Um, but you need to put your your finger on the things that are making you miserable inside, the things that are defiling your life. This was an, an unclean spirit, a spirit that made the man unclean through his uh, work in this man's life. So if you've got a problem with lust or you've got a problem with your anger, or you've got a problem with selfishness, you need to call it what it is. Quit saying it's a mistake and don't say that someone made you like that or, oh, it's because of circumstance. Name your demons. You know, know what's going on inside of you. Call it what it is. 
say it by name and get power over it. And in this case, he's asking these demons, what is your name? Verse 9. And the demon has to answer. And as soon as he answers, that's the first step to mastery in his life. Now, Jesus didn't do this every case. But in this case, this is a stubborn demon. Uh, He's not cooperating. And Jesus is taking additional steps with him. What is your name? And the answer is, my name is Legion for I am actually many. We are many. And he begged him earnestly. The demon begged him earnestly not to send him out of the that territory. Now, this is one of those cases in the scripture. When I see the Lord and I get a chance to ask him a question, this is I mean, this is not the most important question, but this is one of the questions I want to understand. Um, why did he have mercy on demons? What What is it that's going on here in his own heart? Because there's a, there's like, um, you know how sometimes there's an inside joke and just the two people share the knowledge and no one else gets it. Something's going on here that we don't get. I mean, there's a world that we've not been part of, that Jesus has been part of. These demons have been part of. There is a spiritual reality in another dimension, and he lived in it, lives in it. They did too, and that's where this conversation, this is where it comes from. I don't know the history of demons. Uh, You can't necessarily, I don't think, you can say from Scripture that demons are the angels who fell from heaven. Uh, they may be, uh, and even the whole angels that fell from heaven, we kind of have to deduce that from, uh, you know, Ezekiel, and there's some other passages, and uh, you know, we we have to be a little bit careful that we don't build an ironclad doctrine uh, off of passages that are not necessarily doctrinal in nature. But I mean, demons are real; they came from somewhere. Uh, our understanding is that Lucifer, an angel, uh, created by God because all things were, uh, rebelled against God's glory, drew a third of the angels uh, with him in a rebellion. I would really also like to understand how that was possible. Uh, but demons, I'm not sure that all demons are fallen angels. And, you know, Nobody stoned me for this but because I'm not saying this is a biblical doctrine. I'm just saying I'm not sure. Uh, where all demons come from, because some scriptures say that angels who rebelled are reserved in chains of darkness, and the Greek word is tartaru and Tartarus until the day of their judgment. So somebody's already bound up waiting for judgment, you know, while others are roaming free. One theory that I read that, and I don't know if it's true, but if but it kind of would connect to what this demon is saying to him. Uh, that would be the gap theory between Genesis, the very first verse of the Bible, and the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. And then the very next sentence is, and the earth was without form and void. Some say the first the earth was created, perfectly created. Then Satan's rebellion took place. God hurled him to earth, and that caused the planet to sort of dissolve, and the earth was without form and void. And so some would say there was a pre-Adamic civilization, there was a pre-Adamic world, it was somehow uh, joined in league with Satan as he fell, and when that happened, there are these disembodied spirits from that era, Um, again, we got nothing, Uh, we've got one little 
uh, way to read two sentences and put it together. So I'm just throwing that out there for what it's worth. But in any event, these demons don't want to leave the area. That's the, that's what the point I'm trying to understand. There's something about the geographic location of that hill and of that district, and the demons are familiar with it. They are connected to it in some way, and they are begging him not to have to leave that area. And Jesus is somehow understanding and is allowing them to remain. After what they've done to this man, he's still allowing them to remain. And I, I, I can't explain that. They beg to be sent into swine. Now, there shouldn't be pigs in Israel anyway. We're on the border of the Holy Land, and of all the animals, this is the most detestable by the Jews. It was forbidden in the law. They weren't to have anything to do with pigs, and yet here's not a pig or two. Here's a pork business, a pork industry. I mean, if you've got 2,000 pigs, that's a lot uh, of livestock, so... Someone's running a big business right there in Israel. And the demons say, hey, send us to the swine. And Jesus gave them permission. They immediately enter the swine, but the swine don't want them. The herd runs down the steep place. And if you can just get an image of this, 2,000 pigs floating in the water. I mean, that's a, that's a visual that you don't want to have in your head for too long. Now, the people who were there watching these pigs, they panic. They run to the nearby city where they're headquartered. They tell their boss what just happened. And the whole town comes out to see what happened to their pigs. And Jesus is still sitting there. When they arrive, he's sitting there with this man. Verse five, fifteen says, they came to Jesus. They saw the one who had been. This is past tense. They saw the one who had been demon-possessed, owned by demons, and had had the legion, and he was sitting, and he was clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Think of the value of this man, and think of the the economic impact of losing 2,000 pigs in one day. But think about how this must have impacted the 12. There was no crowd. Jesus did not wait for the crowd. He didn't, um, you know, he didn't do something and, and cause the pig herders to run to town and bring the crowd. And then he displays his power by setting this man free. See, I think that's where marketing has gotten into our minds about miracles. We think the purpose of miracles is to do them on a stage so that they can be seen. And part of that, honestly, is that we give glory to God. We want to give glory to God. But part of that is also the marketing of the healing man, that he's a miracle worker. And uh, and we feel like that you know this kind of promotion is good for the kingdom and it's important and it's acceptable. And yet, in the Lord, we don't find him doing things in reference to crowds. If a crowd was there, he generally does his miracle in front of the crowd, yes. But there are times that he leads a man out away from the crowd, just by himself. Or there's times that he meets a person that has a deep need, and he doesn't in any way try to capitalize 
on the amazing miracle. Often he'll do miracles and then tell people, don't tell anybody. This is for you. You know, this is between you and God. And in the case of this man, you know, he has, he's come all the way to this country on a missions trip. The very first face they see is this poor, totally um, messed up guy. And Jesus has just focused on this one man. No crowds, just this man. All this drama over one man. But you know what? One man is enough. It matters to God. Lost people matter to God. And the Bible says when even one of them finds the Lord, there is great rejoicing in heaven. Verse 16. Those who saw what had happened told the people about it. And the people in verse 17 begin to plead with Jesus. This is a broken place. You know, they don't, they don't see the opportunity that the Jews saw. In, in the Jewish cities, when they saw this, they said, great, another healing prophet. And everybody lined up and they all got healed. In this town, they don't know what to do with this. The, the, you know, the demons were pleading. The man was pleading to start with. Then the demons were pleading. Now the whole town is pleading. Go away, you know, go away, depart, leave this region. You know, and, and there's something to be said there, too, about spiritual strongholds. This is an area that's under spiritual power from a hidden demonic group. And they are doing their work. And they've got these people so broken, so full of fear, so full of dread. They dread the coming of the kingdom. And the king has just stepped foot on their shores. He is taking authority over their land. And it scares them, you know, when when Jesus comes into your life, for most people, it's like joy, like this poor man, he was all broken and now he's set free. But for other people, it's not a joy. It's a they fear it. It's a, what's what's God going to do to my life? Because it's still their life. Now, this demon possessed guy begs him, please let me be a disciple. Let me go with you. I mean, he's totally lucid is in his right mind somebody among the disciples has had to give him their clothes or pieces of their clothing because now the man has clothes and he didn't used to, and the clothing had to come from disciples. And so he's sitting there and he's begging the Lord, please just let me go with you. Verse 19, Jesus did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. Tell them how he has had compassion. On you, And the man departed and he began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Now, this is a setup for a later story. We're going to we're going to see Jesus later on come back to this same spot. And this time thousands will gather because this man is going to go and pre evangelize and go through all those communities, those 10 towns that didn't want to receive Jesus. Um they're going to receive this man because he's got an amazing story and he's going to tell his story and his story is going to have results in their life and it's going to stir spiritual hunger in the people. When Jesus comes back, the crowds are so large that he has a, a repeat miracle. You know, the Jewish side, he did a feeding of 5,000 and on this side, he's going to do a feeding of 4,000 men and their families later on because the crowds will be so huge. 
know, it's not uh, always the big thing. It's not always the big show. It's the engagement of one person. And sometimes that one person is so crucial to the coming of the kingdom of God in their family or their country or their their culture. And if you can reach that person, you know, if, if the Lord can use you to reach out into their lives, you just never know who you've won. Now, this man is at least, you know, he's like, he'd never get voted most likely to succeed at evangelism or anything else. He's just a messed up guy. His life's a wreck. But he becomes a powerful evangelist because he knows what he knows. And he had a direct encounter with the Savior. So let's go, brothers and sisters, out into our missions field. And let's not be scared of anybody that we encounter. There are people that you might see who are so just frightening to be around because their life shows all the marks of a person who's just in the hands of the devil. Uh, Don't be afraid of engaging those people. Take them the kingdom. Take them the message of forgiveness from the king. And as they bow the knee and as they come to Christ, uh, we're going to find ourselves uh, with some amazing results and we're going to see the kingdom come into our own nations and those that we touch. Um, I want to remind you, uh, visit me on my blog, quinley.com. Also check us out in the ministry site, emergenetwork.org. And if you enjoy the podcast, please uh, listen to it on the uh, Apple iTunes platform. Uh, you can just search for it under, if you just search for Quinley. Now I've noticed that uh, Apple has redone their website and uh, you have to go to the very bottom of the page now to find the word podcast. Uh, podcasts are free and everything else they have, they sell. So I guess that's why they did it. But if you go to the bottom of the page, you see the word podcast, click it. And then it'll, you know, podcast area will pop up, type in Quinley. Uh, or you can just go to Quinley.com and we'll give you the link to the Apple version of the show. If you'll uh, check it out there and then post a comment, we would appreciate that because it makes the ratings for the show go up. Um, if there's any way I can help you, feel free to email me, my personal email, chuck at Quinley.com. Love to hear from you. God bless. Thread. A singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org.